Amen. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off Sunday night. So we're going to pick up in verse 12. So we're going to look at 12 through 14 this morning, if the Lord permits. And then tonight, uh, we're going to deal with the rest of the chapter, 15 through 19. Okay? So verse 12, Beloved. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice. Are y'all ready to give me the, y'all ready for me to give the invitation right now? That's hard to do, isn't it? But rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached, better translated this way, since you be reproached, because they were being reproached. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Y'all ready to give me for to give the invitation? For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Father, would you so mold these truths into our hearts? Father, would you mold the way we think? Would you mold our perspective? Father, may we see things as you see things. For your honor and your glory, in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There is a huge difference between what is normal as man sees it and what is normal as God sees it. Now you say, what do you mean there's a huge difference? Here's what I mean by that. Man, or Christian men today, view Christianity in a whole different light than God views it. For instance, most people believe that normal Christian living is a roller coaster ride. It's up, it's down. It's up, it's down. But God's perspective in Scripture is the normal Christian life is a road that is constant with a bump every now and then. Most people believe Christian living, normal Christian living, is dealing with the major sins as man defines it in your life. Avoiding the major sins in your life. But yet, willing to live with any other sin that you don't view as major. But God's perspective is, we have victory in Christ over all sin. And therefore, every sin, whether we consider it major or not, because remember, with God... Sin is sin. 
Every sin ought to be something that we're willing to deal with, repent of, and turn from. Man's perspective of normal Christian life is I am to obey God in the major things of my life. But the predominant allegiance that I have is to do that which I think is right for me. But God's perspective of normality is God's the only one that knows what's right for you. And everything in your life ought to be surrendered and yielded to Him. In other words, let me put it to you another way. Man thinks I have the right to do. God says you only have the right to obey. You see, there's a difference between man's mindset and God's mindset of what is Christian living. Well, today we're going to look at another aspect of that. Because man's view of suffering is totally different than God's view of suffering. And so what we're going to see this morning in this text is God is going to show us through this text that suffering for a Christian is normal, not abnormal. And so if we don't see it the way God sees it, then guess what? You're going to get dismantled when you go through it. But when we see it the way God sees it, here's the difference. Instead of getting dismantled, you'll be able to rest and rejoice in the midst of it. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. How does God see normality in the area of suffering? Now, we know that the context here that Peter is writing to these believers and their suffering is in the realm of persecution. But I want you to understand something. The principles that we're looking at this morning and tonight covers really any area of your life of trials, afflictions, or difficulties. Because I believe we ought to have the same mindset when it comes to persecution as we do with trials and difficulties in our life. And that mindset is going to be totally and unequivocally based on if you see things the way God sees things. In other words, if you see your trials the way God sees your trials, if you see him before you see your trials, you'll have the proper perspective. But a lot of people get that in reverse, and they see their trials first, and then they see God, and their mind is fixated upon their difficulties and upon their trials. So I want you to see this with me. I want to begin in verse number 12, and I want you to look at the reality of suffering. The reality of suffering. He says in verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to trial you. Now, I want you to look real close at the first word, beloved. Why is that important? Why did, why did Peter, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, when he was writing to these believers who were being greatly persecuted, why did he have to remind them they're of the beloved? I'll tell you why. Number one, so you don't get wrongly persuaded. And you say, what do you mean? Because here's what a lot of people think. A lot of people think, well, if I'm going through 
persecution or I'm going through suffering or I'm going through trials or I'm going through tribulation, then God has turned a negative hand towards me. In other words, God has forsaken me or God doesn't love me like he used to love me. Hey, listen to me. Do not give in to the lie of the enemy. And this word beloved here is a word that comes from the word agape. And it really literally means this. You are divinely loved unconditionally by God. And he reminds these persecuted believers here. Beloved, listen, remind yourself. Don't be, don't in any way be persuaded otherwise that just because you're going through what you're going through that God does not love you any less. Matter of fact, I would say the opposite. Because you're going through what you're going through, God is manifesting and showing his love for letting you do it. Now you say, well, I don't see persecution that way. God does. And so this is the beginning here. Don't be wrongly persuaded. Secondly, in the reality of suffering is if you see this, don't be wrongly perplexed. Notice what he says. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials. All right, look what it says. As though some strange thing happened to you. Now you say, well, preacher, what does this mean? Here's what it means. Don't think it's strange. Don't think it unusual. Don't think it abnormal that you're going through those times. You say, well, why wouldn't I think it abnormal? Because listen, every born-again believer will have trials and tribulations. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if you live a godly life, boy, here's a promise you won't find in the promise book. But here's a great promise, but it, it's just as true as I'll never leave you nor forsake you. If you live a godly life, you not might, not possibly, you will suffer persecution. And so he says here, don't think this is strange. Don't think it's out of left field, if you will. Listen, when it comes to persecution, the world generally does not persecute religious people. But the world will persecute righteous people. It was a religious man in Cain that killed his brother. And the Bible says in 1 John 3, here's why. Because his own works were evil being Cain, that his brother's righteous. You see, the ones that really know and really have experienced this in their life are the ones that have made holiness the divine passion of their life. Now you say, well, preacher, if holiness brings this, then I'm not going to live holy. If you have that mindset, you have a whole nother problem. It's called lostness. Because you cannot be saved and not desire to live holy. Absolutely cannot be possible. You say, why is that? How many of you agree when God saved you, the Spirit of God came alive in you? How many agree if the Spirit of God came alive in you, the Spirit of God came alive in you to enable you to live in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus? How many agree the Spirit of God in you, the grace of God in you, is what manifests in you and enables you to walk in obedience and holiness and righteousness? 
And so therefore, not only does the Spirit of God give you the desire, the Spirit of God enables you and equips you to be able to walk in it. And so to, as a believer to say, well, I'm not going to walk in righteousness. I'm not going to walk in holiness. If this is what it brings, then that's just a testimony that you don't know him. Holiness is a desire of every true child of God. Every true child of God. Not for the most zealous. Every true child of God. And so... He says here, don't be wrongly persuaded in thinking God don't love you, and don't be wrongly perplexed. Don't sit there and think, why? You say, why? Because it shouldn't catch you off guard if you're going through those times. Okay? So this is the reality of suffering. Notice the reason for suffering. Now, the reason may be a little different. We've looked earlier... In, in earlier in chapter 4, the reason was many ways to, to, that the gospel would get out, that, that you and I would have the opportunity to love those that seem unlovable. But here it's a little different. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. And so some strange thing happened unto you. Let me give you a few things about the reasoning for suffering given in this text. Number one, God's sovereign promise. How many agree if God promised something, it's always going to happen? All right? So if I've already explained to you, has God promised in this world you shall suffer tribulation? Okay, so listen. So why shouldn't I think it's strange? Because God promised it was coming. I mean, God's clearly told us. I give you verse after verse after verse after verse. God has clearly told us. Now, these folks that tell you, well, if you get saved, it's all going to be peaches and cream and gold and silver and everything's going to be fine. And if you'll just think positive, everything will be hunky-dory in your life. That's a lie! God promised this. You say, well, why in the world would he do that? Why would he allow it? Well, I'll get to that in just a moment. Y'all hang on. Y'all getting ahead of me. Right? So, so look at it. He said, listen... This is God's sovereign promise. But there's God's sovereign purpose. Watch what he says here. He said, concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you or test you. Now, understand, God allows persecution and God allows trials and tribulations in our life. And, and you say, why? Well, there's many reasons and why. But let me get to the reason he states here for these believers as one of the reasons. How many agree when God allows something, he could be accomplishing multiple things at one time? All right? So, so here is just one of the multiple things. We've already looked at other things. That he would be glorified. That the gospel would be spread. That we can manifest love to those that are trying or persecuting us. But yet here is another. The fiery trial. What does this word fiery trial mean? Here's what it means. It means that which is being tested or, if you will, proven. By fire. It, the idea is the purifying of gold. How do you purify gold? You put it in the fire. And when you put it in the fire, it melts. And the dross or those things that are impure goes to the top. You skip that off the top. And then what's left is pure gold. Listen, here's what he's saying. He's saying that understand, and if you see this as from God's perspective... That what God's allowing in your life 
is not something that is accident. It's not something that should be strange to you, but it's something God is allowing in your life for your good. How many agree today if you're saved, you want your faith to be refined? You want your faith to be sharp? You want your faith to be pure? Well, let me tell you something. You can't get it there, but I'm glad God can. And God will allow things in your life for no other reason than to refine and shape your faith. How many of you agree today? We ought to be dependent in our life in every situation of our life. But how many of us would find ourselves tending to be more desperately dependent upon God when our world is being rocked? And so God has to teach us this intimacy, this, this dependence upon Him. And many times the only way God can get our attention in that is to allow trials and suffering in your life to do it. And so, listen. So here is what Peter is saying to these believers that are being persecuted. Isn't that what Romans 8, 28 says? All things work together for what? Now, wait a minute, preacher. All don't mean all that. Yes, it does. All things. Everything in your life, no matter how bad, no matter how good, no matter whether you like it or whether you don't like it. If you're saved today, all things work together for good to them that love God. All things. In other words, God has a purpose. God is trying to accomplish something in your life. At the same time, he may be doing many other things. And it may have nothing to do with sin. And it just may be God's trying to get you to the place of abandoning yourself to him more and more and more in your life. Now, we look at that and say, well, preacher, that's tough. No, that's love. It's that simple. You better be glad God loves you enough to do that. You say, why? Because if he don't, you're going to cheat yourself out of many blessings and many rewards. And God's going to work in you this way. God's going to work for you in this way. And so we see God's sovereign promise. We see God's sovereign purpose. But notice God's sovereign power. He said, as though some strange thing happened. Now, when we see that word happen, what, what's the first thing we think about? Oops. We think of, I just stumbled into something. Or something just out of nowhere happened to me. Accident, accident. I got news for you. When it comes to God, there's no accident. Amen. By the way, anything good in your, in your life was not luck. Anything bad in your life was not just something that happened. You say, what do you mean? I'm saying God allowed or orchestrated every single event in your life. If you're saved. And so here is God's power being displayed 
in the suffering in which these are people are going through, the persecution in which they are enduring. It's not that God has literally, if you will, initiated, but God has allowed the persecution to take place. And he's done it to bring these folks to a deeper place of dependence and trust in him. Because I promise you, when your world is being rocked, sometimes you don't have anywhere else to turn but him. Now, what we try to do is we try to turn to men. We try to go to others and say, all right. I mean, we, we want to phone a friend. Y'all know what I mean by that? Say amen. I mean, we're going through a tough time. First thing we want to do is phone a friend. What do you think, Oliver? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. But let's talk about it a little bit. Here's the positive. Here's the negative. Here's, hey, guys, listen. I'm glad iron, iron sharpened with iron. Y'all say amen to that? But how about this? How about the first place you go with him? You say, why? He's the one that allowed it to happen to start with. I tell you this. I promise you, he knows more about what you need than your friend does. Now, listen, so God is trying to work a work in each of our lives. And, and many times this is the reason for the suffering. Now, let me ask you one question before we go to the next, next point. How many of you agree today if God loves you that much to do whatever it takes to bring you in deeper dependence and faith and trust in him, how many of you would agree by raising your hand, this is a good thing for me? All right. All right, so about 30% of the congregation thinks that's a good thing. The rest of you, I've got another message later on for you. Amen? Now, I'm going to try this one more time. I promise you, you will miss lunch. How many of y'all think this is a good thing? Okay, that's a little bit. All right? So if you think it's a little a good thing, then verse 13 is not going to rattle you. But rejoice. See, it's seeing things from God's perspective. If you understand what God's doing, and you understand what God's trying to accomplish, even if you don't know specifically, you know the character and nature of God, listen, that ought to be enough for me to rejoice. So let me give you a few things here, the rejoicing in suffering. The first thing you're going to find here is the command concerning rejoicing. He, when he said, but rejoice, he's not saying it this way. Well, Donald, why don't you just think about it and you might consider, just really consider, strongly consider, but just consider rejoicing in it. No, that's not what he said. Here's what he said. Rejoice! Period. It's a command. And so in other words, how do I rejoice in the midst of suffering? I see it the way God sees it. I understand the character and nature of God. And as I understand the character and nature of God, then I understand God's not going to do anything or allow anything in my life that's not for my good and His glory. And if I have that perspective, if all I desire is, God, what's your good for me? God, all I desire is what's going to bring glory unto your name. Then guess what? Anything God allows in my life, I can rejoice. Listen. I'm not rejoicing that I'm suffering. I'm rejoicing that I am suffering. I have a God who is mighty and able and sufficient and loving and never would do anything to cause me harm. Amen. 
say, well, preacher, I don't like some of the things I'm going through. Well, guess what? I don't like some of the things I'm going through. But I can still rejoice. You say, well, some of them hurt deeply. But I can rejoice in this, that my God is sufficient. Rejoice. Bible says in Acts 5, 41, when Peter went before the Sanhedrin, and some of the disciples, it says, and they departed from the presence of the council. Remember they said, we're going to cut your head off if you don't quit preaching the gospel. Y'all remember that? Say amen. It says they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. Somebody told you they're going to cut your head off. Could you rejoice in that? You say, why'd they rejoice? The Bible says rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. What caused them to rejoice? What the rest of the verse says. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. You see, you see the command concerning rejoicing. You see the cause of rejoicing. That you've got to partake. Let me put it to you this way. That you've got to participate. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you guys, okay? If the single focus and affection of your life is not Christ and not you. Let me say it again. If the single focus and affection of your life is not Christ, it will be you. And you'll never rejoice in suffering. But if the single focus and affection of your life above every other thing is Christ, you'll always be able to rejoice in suffering. But if it's me, I'm hurt. I'm mad. I'm disappointed. I was wrong. My rights were taken from me. Are y'all getting this? But if it's him, and my suffering's not from wrongdoing, if it's him, Lord, all I desire is to be made one with you, to be identified with you, that you be seen through my life. That you be solely the affection of my heart. And Lord, you know I'm suffering. But I'm suffering because you are letting yourself be seen in me. Thank you for the privilege.
Now, I know, folks. I know what I'm telling you is foreign to what's being taught in our country today. But I'm not telling you this. That's what this text says. That's all it says. Well, how many of you remember Peter? You remember Peter in the Gospels? Without the indwelling Spirit of God. How many agree? Without the indwelling Spirit of God, he had no ability to love the Lord with all his heart, mind, and soul with God's love. You say, why didn't he have the ability? Because Romans 5, 5, the love of God was shed in your heart, brought in your heart by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Spirit. How many agree? In the Gospels, Peter didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. All right, so therefore, when he was identified with Christ, what did Peter do? Deny it. You say, why did he deny it? Because Peter could only focus on Peter. Because he did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And because he could only focus on Peter, he looked at this and said, all right, they're asking me a question. What are you with that man Christ? And if I answer yes, it's going to be bad for my health, and I don't want that. So the third time, he cursed Stephen. What about Peter after the indwelling Holy Spirit at Pentecost? We're going to cut your head off if you don't quit preaching the gospel. Can I give you a loose East Tennessee mountain translation of what Peter said? Do whatever you want, dude. I'm not going to quit. Now, wait a minute, Peter. Are you the same man? Yes and no. Same body. Different man. And Jesus told him, when Jesus confronted him about Peter, do you love me? Jesus told him, he said, Peter, there's going to be a day you'll willingly stretch out your hands. In other words, die. And there come a day that they were going to martyr Peter. And they were going to crucify him like Christ. And here's what we know from history. Peter said, I want to be identified with Christ. But I'm not worthy to be crucified like him. So crucify me upside down. This is the same man that cursed you even knew the Lord. Well, notice the reward in suffering. Look at verse 13. That when, when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Here's the reward. How many agree when his glory shall be revealed when Jesus Christ comes back for his church? How many agree? Jesus has already been glorified at the right hand of the Father. So that's not what it's talking about. So what does it mean when it's revealed? Revealed to who? To you and I. When we meet him in the air. How many agree? When we meet him in the air, we're going to see him in all his glory. Here's what it says. When that day comes, there's not going to be one thought in your mind 
that says, I wish I would have compromised that I wouldn't have had to suffer so much. No, here's what it says. You can rejoice in your sufferings here and now. But when Jesus is revealed, here's the way it reads in the Greek, you will be overjoyed. You will be overflowing with joy. You say, why? Because your reward will make it worth it all. In other words, listen. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you do not stand there facing condemnation. You stand there that God would deal with the, the works of your life that were not of Him but of you. But listen, when you are obedient to the Lord and you suffer because of it, those things will be gold, silver, and precious stones. And they will re remain. They will not be burnt off. And they will be the rewards that you lay at the feet of the Lord Jesus and praise Him. Lord, you're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. And can I tell you something? No matter what you go through, I got some good news. It'll be worth it. That you got to be identified with the Lord Jesus. By the way, we say, well, I want to be identified with the Lord Jesus when I get to heaven. I want to be like him. I want to spend eternity with him. Well, guess what? If you want to spend eternity with him, you want to be like him there, then you'll want to be identified with him here no matter what it brings. I, I mean, this is what he's saying here. So this is the reward in suffering. Notice the rest in suffering. Look at verse 14. Since, or if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. Notice the proper mindset. Since you be reproached in Christ. Since. For the name of Christ. In other words, you have a proper mindset towards your suffering. John 15, 21, here's what it says. But all things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Your proper mindset was be, be this. That if someone wrongs me, if somebody does some harm to me, because all I did was try to obey God, all I'm doing is walking in the righteousness of Christ, then here's going to be the proper mindset. They're not doing this to me. They're doing it to him. You remember what Jesus told Saul before he became Paul? I mean, Paul was stoning Christians because he viewed them as heretics. Y'all remember that? And I mean, he was stoning Christians. He was killing Christians. And he thought he was obeying God. He was so blinded by Judaism. He thought he was obeying God. And Jesus come along. And here's what Jesus said. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou? He didn't say, why are you persecuting these Christians? He said, why are you persecuting me? You say, why did he say me? Because listen, you touch one of his, you're touching him. I have people from time to time tell me, say, Preacher, I've been trying to share the gospel, but every time I do, they shut the door in my face. Here's what I tell them. They didn't shut the door on you. They shut the door on the gospel. They shut the door on him. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. Had nothing to do with what you had to say. Well, I took it personally. Well, guess what? If your focus is on him, you wouldn't take it personally. 
Y'all say amen. See, here's, can I, can I just love on you a minute? Hey, can I love on you a minute? If you get your feelings hurt easy, it's because you're not dead to self. Last time I checked, the dead man don't get his feelings hurt. So you have a proper mindset. Then you have a praising mindset. It says happy are you. The word happy means blessed are you. So in other words, if you go through this and you have a proper mindset about it, you're going to see yourself as blessed. You say, preacher, there is nowhere in the Bible that says I'm blessed for suffering. Oh, really? Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Notice sixthly the refreshing in suffering. Notice what he says. How can I be blessed? How can I be happy? Watch, he tells you. For the spirit of glory of God resteth upon you. What's this word rest mean? Here's what it means. It refreshes and strengthens you. In other words, when you're going through trials, when you're going through suffering, when you're going through persecution, let me tell you something, folks. The spirit of God that is in you will continue to refresh and strengthen you in the midst of it. Listen, it'll be like a rushing water in the refreshing or the desert times of your life. And all of a sudden now, that water, that person of the Spirit of God will begin to quench the thirst of your heart, quench the thirst of your despair, and He will refresh you and He will strengthen you. How many of you agree today that when the Lord Jesus was in the garden, God sent to strengthen Him? There'll be a refreshing time. Lastly, the results of suffering. Notice the bottom verse 14, and I'm done. On their part, it's evil spoken of. But on your part, he's glorified. I've shared this with you before, but I want to remind you of this truth. What was the one event in all of history How many agree there's many events in history that bring God glory? But what was the one event in all of history in which every characteristic of God was manifested and when every characteristic of God is manifested, how many agree God gets the greater glory? You say, where at? Calvary. Now listen to me. We think the primary reason that Christ died was for you and me. All right, y'all hearing me say amen? Did Christ die for you and me? Yes. But was that the primary reason? No. You say, what was the primary reason? That God be glorified. You say, preacher, where do you find that? John 15... John 7. Jesus said on the dawn of the cross, Now are you glorified. 
So have you ever thought that in the most difficult times of your life can be the times God's glorified the most? Let me close with an illustration. The pastor of the church of Smyrna, the seven churches of Asia Minor in the first, in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation, was a man named Polycarp. We know from historical writings that Polycarp was martyred by being burned at the stake. And when they tied him to the stake, and they would put around him as they tied him what would be equivalent for our day to be barbed wire around his throat. That if he tried to pull his hands, it would pull the barbed wire into his throat. And with him tied to that stake in that way, they said to Polycarp these words, and I'm going to quote. If you would just announce what you say you believe, we'll let you free. Polycarp's response was, and I quote, 80 and 6 years, have I served him? Now remember this. He's tied to a stake, and all they got to do is set fire to it with Bob wire, as we would call it today, around him. Here's what he said Eighty and six years have I served him, and he, being God, has never did me any injury. Did y'all hear that? Say amen. How can I blasphemy my king and my savior? The Romans of that day responded. And they say this to him. I have respect for your years, your age. Therefore, simply say, away with the atheists. And he was referring to the Christians that would not show their allegiance to the Roman emperor of that day. And we'll let you go. And acknowledge him as Lord, being the Roman emperor. Polycarp's response was this. He pointed to the Romans, not to the Christians. And he says, away with the atheists. And right there, they lit the fire. You say, preacher, that's horrible. Oh, no. Because, because of what happened, many people were waxed strong in the faith. And God was glorified. Now, we live in a country, and we live in a day in this country, as of right now, that this is absolutely foreign to us.
But can I bring it down home? But if you're going through difficult times, can you rejoice? Just because God's God. And He's enough. Can you say with Polycarp, Lord, of all my years of living as a Christian, you've never not one time done me any injury. Father, I don't begin to know what everybody in this building is going through. I don't begin to know how many people in this building are going through things that, Father, not only beyond my knowledge or my understanding, but, Father, maybe you and you alone are the only ones that know about it. Because they've just hit it. Or maybe there's some folks going through some things in this time that, Father, are just deeply hurtful, painful. Maybe there's some folks that are trying to be a witness at work, at school. People are ridiculing them or making fun of them. Just by trying to let you live out your life through them. And it hurts. Maybe there's some folks in here today that are starting to buy into a lie. Is this really worth it? Father, I pray they'd turn their eyes upon you. They would see the suffering that you endured just for the glory of God. And yes, out of the outflows of that, we could be redeemed. And they would know that God in His goodness and mercy is trying to strengthen them and trying to refresh them and trying to woo them to a deeper place of dependence and faith and trust and intimacy. By you allowing these things in our life, Father, you're trying to reach someone else that when they see us going through difficult times of our life and we continue to respond in righteousness and kindness and love they realize I don't have what that person has and your spirit can awaken them to their need Father, if truth be known, there's times, I know for me, and I would say for every single person in this building, that there's been times we've not responded correctly. We've responded fleshly, wrongly. Father, this morning maybe you're reminding us of those times that we've never repented of, we've never confessed to you and Father, who saw us respond that way, we never went to him and said, please forgive me. Because you saw of me 
not Christ, but me. So, Father, whatever you're trying to do in us this morning, my prayer is that we'd respond accordingly for no other reason than you're glorified in helping us to be molded and shaped in the image of Christ. But Father, maybe there's some folks in here today that they just have to admit I like living my life the way I want to live it. I don't like giving my allegiance and letting you, Father, be the dictator, the governor, out of love of my life. Maybe today you're showing them that the reason for that is they've never known you. So, Father, whatever you need to do this morning, do it for your honor and your glory, and I'll praise you and I'll thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said...